0: morning. Lovely to see you all on this slightly overcast summer's day. Perfect picnic weather. Let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your abundant grace. Thank you for your provision of all that we need. You are the God of heaven and earth. The whole world is yours. And Lord, even as we take up this offering, Lord, we just, we're just giving back to you. Just a little bit of what you've already given us in gratitude, in worship of you. Pray that this offering will be multiplied in your hands, that it will go towards furthering your kingdom on earth. Just pray you'll continue to speak to us now. Help us to have open hearts, open ears, to be responsive to what you're wanting to teach us and show us. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Great, well, we are continuing our series, looking at the parables that Jesus told in the the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that there there came a moment in Jesus' ministry when he, he started using these simple stories, parables as we know them, that were on the face of it, just pretty simple stories, but yet contained deep truth about the kingdom of God if you were willing to, to dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface. Why did he start doing that? Well, James, I thought, set up the series brilliantly when he, when he mentioned that actually if we look at the context, there had been a lot of opposition to Jesus' teaching. You know, at times he had been provocatively clear We think of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He had been very direct, very upfront, not speaking in stories. And and through that, so many people rejected the truth outright. In fact, using his words, twisting his words to be used against him. In fact, as was prophesied hundreds of years before, these people's hearts were hardened And so rather than casting his pearls before swine, a phrase he used in the Sermon of the Mount, he started using simple stories. Stories about farming, stories about baking bread, stories about losing a coin or losing a sheep, stories about a wayward son returning home, stories that for those whose hearts were hard, who were just not interested in what Jesus had to say would simply remain kind of simple stories. And yet for those whose hearts were open, who were willing to dig a little bit deeper, who were hungry for truth, these stories revealed a treasure trove of kingdom truth. And in fact, Matthew 13, where we've been for a little while, says, he actually quotes Psalm 78. It says, Jesus told these parables. He says, I will open my mouth in parables and utter things hidden since the foundations of the world. So please don't think parables was was Jesus' way of hiding truth in riddles that only the intelligent or the enlightened would ever have a hope of understanding It was more about revealing where people's hearts were at. For those who are hungry for truth, it's there if you're open to it. You know, James really encouraged us to, to really listen, really hear what Jesus is saying, to dig a little deeper. Parables provoke us. They challenge us to dig a little deeper beneath the surface. You know, because as he said, it's so easy to listen at a shallow level. And I completely identify with his illustration of half listening to to my children. You know, Ben, our youngest child, is massively into this computer game called Fortnite. Has anyone else heard of it? I mean, half the population seemed to be in it. In fact, a lot of the German World Cup team, their performance was put down to the fact that they were staying up till four in the morning playing Fortnite and FIFA Which is crazy, considering they're actually going to be playing the real thing the next day. But anyway, they were playing these computer games. And Ben loves to tell me about his battles. He loves to tell me about new characters he's become. And I I love the fact that he wants to share this world that he's really into with me. I love the fact. But at times, my head is just in a different space. And when he's talking about all these different skins and and backpacks and and things that he's got, I I can kind of, to my shame, I can kind of switch off. And I get into the, hmm, yeah. Yeah, okay, wow, that's really good. Yeah. And I get the, I get the dad, are you listening? And I, oh, oh, oh no, I'm oh, sorry. I'm just, my head's in a different place. He's wised up to this now. When he picks up on my, mmm, yeah, ooh, wow, you know, he'll throw in a, so you're happy with me spending 8.99 on a new skin, then, are you? Mmm, yeah, yeah. Suddenly my mm's and yes become a little bit more costly. But I would argue that if we simply skim through, particularly these familiar words of the parables, it's far more costly. Because we can miss deep revelation, foundational truths, riches, and beauty, and power that is ours in Jesus Christ, revelations of the kingdom of God. You know, I was thinking about going to be preaching on the Good Samaritan. We're not, so I'm going to go on to a different one. But, I mean, the Good Samaritan is a great example of, on one level, you can simply read it as an encouragement to become more socially active. You know, it's a call to love your neighbor. Yes, it is. But actually, the parable is more about our need of salvation, in response of what must I do to be saved? That's the context. And in fact, rather than simply a call to be more socially aware, it's actually a call away from self-righteousness and onto the grace of God because the only way we can truly love our neighbor in the way Jesus is describing is if we are filled with his Holy Spirit, if we are loving out of his love for us. The only way we can model such lavish grace as is described in that parable of the Good Samaritan is if we first have tasted and seen of God's lavish grace for us. If you look a bit deeper, it's it's a salvation issue. Parables, thank you, parables reveal deep kingdom truths. I thought Mike as well did a great job unpacking the parable of the pearl of great price, again digging a little deeper, showing that although this kingdom costs us everything, we've been singing about it, I've got to surrender my whole life to Jesus. As we dig a little bit deeper, we realize that actually this is a kingdom that can never be purchased by us, but we have in the person of Jesus Christ, one who has given his all. To enable us to come into this kingdom. To enable us to, to receive by grace through faith this incredible inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. We receive this gift of eternal life. This gift of forgiveness. We receive this gift of being accepted into God's family as his children, sons and daughters. Ones that carry his authority in this world. So, as Jesus said on numerous occasions, let him who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Keep that in mind as we now look at uh, the parable of the mustard seed. As I was praying about it, I felt God draw me to this parable. So, if you've got your Bibles, do turn to Matthew chapter 13. Going to read just uh, from verses 31 to 32. It says this should come up there. Wonderful. So, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain." Of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. Another simple story. You know, and Jesus is continuing this kind of farming theme. Remember the context of the people he's talking about. Would, this will be familiar terms. He just told the story of the sower and how lavishly the farmer sowed seed on good and not so good soil. He tells then the story of the wheat and the, the tares or, or the weeds and how he allows them to grow together. The wheat describing children of God, the weeds describing those that belong to the evil one, describing that there will one day become a harvest where the weeds will be pulled up. Judgment will come, but we are not called to be the ones who judge. We are the ones who are called to show God's love, to display his glory, to display his grace, to tell others of the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. And although we see evil seemingly thriving around us, actually it's God's grace that he doesn't root it all up now. Why? Because there is still good seed Yet to germinate. There's good wheat still to grow. And a wonderful confirmation of hope that we have is in verse 43 of chapter 13. He says, The righteousness will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Why? Because this kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. And that's the theme that continues in this parable of the mustard seed. And, you know, it is such a simple story. What is Jesus saying here in a nutshell? Perhaps I should say in a mustard seed, it is simply that the kingdom of God is a growing kingdom. It's a growing kingdom. This is the first and most obvious point, really, of this parable. Why is this so important for us to grasp? Why was it so important for the disciples to grasp? And again, let's just think about the context. As we read through the Gospels, we see time and time again, the disciples, understandably, kind of going up to Jesus, and I paraphrase, saying, God, when are you really going to start doing the stuff? When are you really going to start coming in power? You know, uh, when, When's the fireworks going to start? When are you going to overthrow the Romans? When are you going to do the stuff we've been waiting generations for? You know, usher in your kingdom with a loud bang, ride in on horseback, oh king, our oh, Messiah, when's the fireworks going to start? You know, yeah, we, we love seeing the miracles, that's, that's amazing. You know, we love the teaching. Okay, the parables are a little bit confusing, not quite sure why you're doing that, but, but you know what? We're, we're still waiting. When are you going to start bringing in your kingdom? They were expecting a bigger show. They were expecting the wiping away of evil and injustice. It got even more confusing when Jesus said, actually, rather than wiping out his enemies, they're going to kill him. It's like, that's not quite how we thought it was going to happen. And when he described that, when he described his death, he, again, he hints at this seed that needs to be planted and will grow. He says to them in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Time and time again, Jesus describes his kingdom as a growing kingdom. They needed to understand that this kingdom that he ushered in with his arrival on earth was going to start small. And he uses a a well-known phrase, a proverbial saying, as small as a mustard seed. Yes, there are smaller seeds. This was a well-known phrase at the time. They knew what he was talking about. It's going to start as small as a mustard seed, seemingly insignificant, unimpressive, nothing to show for, externally at least, of the potential and the power within. The disciples needed to know that although they looked like a very unimpressive bunch of nobodies, Actually, they would in fact have far more impact and a far greater reach than the mighty Roman Empire would have ever had and will ever have as God worked through them. And this was going to be achieved as every seed, every follower of Jesus died to themselves, died to their old lives and lived for Jesus. So producing more seeds that produced more seeds. 30, 60, 100-fold, like the parable of the sower described. Because the truth is, this unimpressive kingdom is actually an unstoppable kingdom. Habakkuk 2, 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that a beautiful image? It's a promise. Philippians two ten: At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. We are part of an unstoppable kingdom. And we need to really take that to heart. Because my second point is even though this mustard seed, as Jesus said, can grow into quite an impressive plant, it's not really that impressive to look at. If we move on to the other slide, if we move on to the other slide, there we go. That is a pretty fully grown mustard tree. To be honest, it's more of a Big bush, really, isn't it? it? It's not a mighty oak, is it? It's not a mighty cedar of Lebanon or a giant redwood. It does grow pretty impressive if you consider the size of the seed and you know other agricultural plants that are grown. Think of wheat; only grows so high. In 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 that context, it's pretty impressive. But actually, it's still not that. It's still not that great. It's barely a tree, more of a large bush. And I think for us, it's very helpful to remember that actually outward appearances can be really, really deceptive. Yes, the gospel has reached around the globe. But you know what? We too can still feel pretty insignificant. As a church, on a good day, we're around about 150. 150 people in a borough of 200,000, in a city of near, nearly 9 million, at times... I can feel a little bit mustard seed-like. I don't know about you. Particularly as we look around and see the need, see the brokenness, see the indifference. So we turn on the news and see heartbreaking knife crime, see homelessness, trafficking on our doorstep. And I think it is vital that we grab hold of this, this kingdom truth, that actually, outward appearances can be very deceptive. That whatever we feel like, whatever we look like, we contain the potential. To transform the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? As as kingdom ambassadors, we have the same power, this dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from, this same power that raised Jesus from the dead. As kingdom ambassadors, we have the authority in Jesus' name. We we have his influence and his power. Why? Because we are temples of his Holy Spirit. He is Emmanuel, He is God with us as His heirs, His children. Whatever we look like, however unimpressive we may feel, we have incredible treasure, jars of clay, such treasure within. We need to hold on to that. We need to believe that. Let's never despise small beginnings. Zechariah 4.10, so helpful because God is the one who brings the growth. He is the one who brings the growth. As we faithfully step out and sow more seeds and water the ground, and literally bring kingdom influence wherever our feet tread. We have that influence. You know, I I love the fact that although it's not a great cedar, although it's not a mighty oak, it's still big enough for birds to nest in its branches. You know, and, and actually when you you read through some commentators, they see these birds as negative because of the parable of the sower, the birds stealing the grain. Actually, I think in this context, they're not negative, they're positive. The same way Jesus uses yeast, both negatively as false teaching, but also positively as the kingdom of God growing. I think birds in this case are very positive. I think it actually shows that when the kingdom of God is growing, you know, even think of the local church context, we can offer shelter and refuge, a place to belong, a home under our branches. You know, often you chase the birds away. Oi, stop eating our seed. We're meant to be harvesting these mustard seeds. You know, we put nets. We used to have a cherry tree. We used to put a net over it because the pigeons used to just gobble the, the, the cherries, you know, almost gone in a couple of days. We'd to shout to the pigeons, go away. But here, no, no, they nest in its branches. They share in the tree's provision. And protection. Isn't that a lovely picture? How are we modeling that practically as a church, as individuals in our homes? Are we offering protection? Are we offering provision, shelter, a place to belong, a place to call home? So we're a part of an unstoppable growing kingdom, yet at times it can look pretty unimpressive. But that doesn't matter because it's a growing kingdom. And key to this kingdom growth is our faith. It's so important we get this. God, in his wisdom, has chosen you and me to reveal this kingdom on the earth. To reveal his love and his rule and his reign to the community around us. That's his wisdom. You know, the weak things of this world, to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise. But to do that, we need to put our faith into action. I think it's no coincidence that Jesus again uses the illustration of a mustard seed not just to describe his kingdom, but also to describe our faith, because faith and kingdom growth go hand in hand. You know, you can, you can count the number of times Jesus describes his disciples as ye of little faith. I, for one, find that very encouraging. But it's almost their their kind of subheading. The disciples, ye of little faith. He said it time and time again. In fact, he even went as far as saying, how long must I stay with you? He was pretty blunt, wasn't he? And he said that in response to them struggling to free a boy who was afflicted by a demon. And the story is, is told in Matthew 17. And Jesus says to them, In verse 20, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, there's that phrase again, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's quite a statement. Now in the past, I don't think I have got hold fully of the truth of what Jesus was saying here. In the past, I've thought, well, that's okay because all I ever need is just a teeny mustard seed faith. And I'll be fine. Just keep it teeny. That's all I need. That's all I need. I can move mountains. Actually, I believe that's missing the point. The point is, in the same way that in the parable of the mustard seed, relating to the kingdom of God, the whole point is, it's not supposed to stay the same size. It grows. It grows. Mustard seeds are are designed to grow. The kingdom of God is designed to grow. Guess what? Our faith is designed to grow. And the good news is it grows disproportionately. The point is it's okay even if you've got a speck of faith. Why? Because it's a seed. It's a seed that if we'll allow it, we'll become mighty. We'll become mighty. The point was the disciples at that time hadn't allowed their faith to grow. So very briefly in the time we've got left, which is two minutes, it's not going to happen, is it? Three points, ways we can make our faith, help our faith to grow. And just to say again, it is God who brings the growth, okay? But it is down to us to feed it and water it, to partner with him in enabling that gift of faith that he has given us to grow and flourish in our lives. So yeah, first thing we have to do is feed it. You know, You can keep a seed in a dry envelope for years, I've got hundreds of them in our little side fill. Seeds I've picked up from plants that I thought, oh, I'll plant that next summer. Some of them are five years old. Do you know what? They will probably still grow if I plant them. But they look very similar to when I picked them. They're exactly the same. They're still a seed. They've still got the potential. They just haven't grown. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe you came to faith You put your trust in Jesus. God deposited that seed of faith in your heart. But perhaps you've shelved it. You just thought, I'll just keep it there. Seeds need to be planted. They need to be fed and watered. We're no different. Our faith is no different. We need to be planted in a a local church, surrounded by people who will encourage us in our faith, challenge us, support us, We need to be rooted in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Again, Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His words are living and active and powerful, and they activate our mustard seed faith. Can I encourage you, if you know, actually my faith just hasn't grown, have a think about how you're feeding it. This is how we're built up in him. This is how we grow in our knowledge of God, our satisfaction in him, our confidence in him, our obedience to him, our love for him. Hand in hand with reading God's word, of course, is spending time in his presence, in prayer. These are so important. Why couldn't the disciples heal that boy? Well, in Mark's parallel description of that time, Jesus is very clear. He says this kind of demon can only come out through prayer and fasting. They hadn't built themselves up in prayer. It's so important. Time and time again, Jesus took himself away, spent time in prayer with his father, building himself up. We build our faith up through prayer. It's often said, no prayer, no power. It's really important. How are you feeding your faith? It needs to be planted, rooted, watered. Secondly, mustard seed faith grows as we step out in faith and take risks. Everybody's favorite thing. But we need to act on what we hear, don't we? James is very clear. James 1.22, don't just be hearers, but doers. I've just planted a a new climber beside a sort of a southwest-facing wall. And to be honest, it looks incredibly feeble. It looks very fragile, it looks at the slightest gust of wind is just going to snap it, break it down. So I've, I've started to run cable, little wires up the wall. I'm trying to train it, I don't know if it will work, I'm trying to train it to go up and around the wall, but even within a few weeks since I put the cable up, already its little tendrils have wrapped around it and all its new growth, we've had a bit of rain and suddenly there's new growth coming, all its new growth is along that wire. It's as if it's saying, I, I'm going to put my trust in this wire. I'm going to hold on to this wire and I'm going to follow it because it feels safe. I think, I think this is the way I need to go. And isn't that like faith? Faith is I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. I'm going to step out in the authority of God. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm going to hold on to it. Just like that little climber. It's putting all its growth along that wire. What are the ways you can step out in faith, even this week? What can you, in what ways can you act on what you know is true of who you are in Christ? Maybe in your place of work. Maybe it's reaching out to parents at school. Maybe it's stepping out in a new business venture. Maybe it's stepping out in, God, in your God-given creativity to connect with people at a deeper level. Maybe it's saying, actually, I shall believe God's given me this, this ability, this gifting. I'm going to step out and use it. Maybe it's stepping out in the prophetic, stepping out in prayer. It might be laying something down. It takes faith to let something go in order to be able to take something better up. Maybe it is simply standing firm in the face of adversity. Because thirdly, mustard seed faith grows When it's challenged, when it's challenged. Again, we're keeping on a bit of a gardening theme here and agricultural theme here. It's a well-known fact that trees that are over-supported, over-protected, over-staked have weaker roots than those that are allowed to flex a bit in the wind, those that are allowed to be exposed a bit to the pressures of life, the wind. What happens is that it forces the tree's roots deeper into the soil in the same way plants that are are competing against weeds and other plants actually are forced to grow taller to see the light to reach the sun and in the same way often people that i come across who have really deep faith are often the ones that face daily challenges whether that's physical difficulty or family situations you often see a faith that is really deep really strong Don't be surprised when our faith is challenged and tested. In fact, as James 1 encourages us to, and this can really stick in the throat at times, depending on where you're at, consider it pure joy. (laughs) That can stick in the throat sometimes, can't it? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance, perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, fully grown and complete, not lacking in anything. Really the key here is persistence, isn't it? Persistence. Faith grows when we keep persevering, despite the circumstances. As John Ford helpfully explained last Sunday when he was talking about the two different miracles that Jesus performed, the miracle of the woman with the issue of bleeding and and Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. You know, there was a there in both there was this faith factor, a persevering, a pushing through. With the woman with internal bleeding, she didn't just have to push through the crowds that thought she was unclean. She had to push through the years of disappointment and pain and shame. She had to push through all that, persevere and persist to reach Jesus. And when she did, Jesus publicly commended her for what? Her faith a persistent faith for Jairus it was pushing through the shock of hearing that his daughter wasn't now sick but had actually died (laughs) suddenly he had to believe his faith had to go from believing Jesus could heal a sick person to believing that Jesus could raise the dead that's quite a, a step up isn't it what did Jesus say don't be afraid just believe let your faith grow let your faith grow persevering faith faith that that pushes forward often against the flow you think god when's the breakthrough going to come when we persevere when we push through what that does it releases god's kingdom to increasingly grow in our lives At times we can seem very unremarkable very weak but we're called to live by faith and not by sight aren't we and our faith is in the god who can move mountains? I wonder what mountains, what challenges you are facing this morning. If you have the tiniest bit of faith, if you have mustard seed sized faith, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because if you are prepared to feed it, if you are prepared to, 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 to get into God's word and spend time in prayer, if you're prepared to step out And act on it, to tell others about the kingdom, to demonstrate its power. If you're prepared to persevere through God's grace, holding on to the promises of God, you will see mountains being moved. It's a seed that grows. And as with yeast, as Jesus goes on to say in the following paragraph, every part of the dough will be impacted will be impacted. Not one part of creation is going to be left unaffected by this unstoppable, redeeming power of God. That's the promise we have as this kingdom increasingly comes on earth as it is in heaven. Shall we pray? Why don't we get the band to come back up? We're just aware of time. We've overrun a little bit. I would just like to encourage you, if God's been speaking to you through the worship Amy's word that she brought about just knowing that you are feeling tied up in fear or perhaps shame. You know, sometimes we can think of this tiny little seed, I will never get free. God, give you faith right now in Jesus' name. He is the God who can move mountains. If there are challenges in your life, if there are habits in your life that you think I will never be free of, God is a God who can move mountains. Trust him. Allow your faith to grow. Let's just worship him and then there'll be time for prayer afterwards.